0: everyone below feels like there's all of this immovable hierarchy, but execs are frustrated because it's all changeable.
1: On this episode, we're talking leadership. This is Don't Say Content, created in partnership with Share Your Genius. In a sea of a million marketing shows, we strive to be original, and I can guarantee you that not one has had a conversation just like this. These are your hosts, Devin Bramhall. You
0: have to find ways to take credit for things so people can trust and believe in you and wanna follow you, but you have to give most of it away.
1: And Margaret Kelsey. The only thing i guarantee that your management or your leadership layer cares about is are you thinking about it the right way? Are you blocked? Are you having success? In this episode, we're exploring marketing leadership blind spots. And one blind spot in particular, Feelings versus facts when it comes to constraints within company structure. Let's check in with Devin and Margaret.
0: Margaret, yeah. The other day, I received a text from you that read to me like a shower thought, and I sort of followed what you were saying, but I told you to stop because I wanted to discuss it here. Yeah. So, can I just read your text
1: message to me? Sure. Read your text message to me. <laughs> you read my words to you <gasps> okay T- to me to <laughs> me <laughs> to you <laughs> okay
0: exec leadership has no idea no idea being in all caps how structured their company feels based on decision they make everyone below feels like there's all of this immovable hierarchy but execs are frustrated because it's all changeable yes tell me more about that. And also why were you thinking about that?
1: Yeah. I've had this realization because I've fallen into this trap so much in my own career. And now being able to talk the last couple of years at an executive level, I like, I'm starting to build that empathy and it's, and I'm realizing how much I like fucked up my own career (laughs) at, at different points. What I'm seeing is founders, executives, whatever at a company, the higher up you go, the more they understand that like organizational design exists, but it's also like changeable, right? And it's like, yeah, I mean, this is the decision I made at this point, but like that could change. And I think downstream of that, what people feel when they're operating in a team is, oh, well, that person's my boss or, oh, that's a separate team from me Or, oh, that team has this goal and I have this goal and that's different. And like all of this hierarchical stuff of like, oh, I don't want to jump. They're technically adjacent to me, but uh, they have a higher title. So I need to defer to them when we're making decisions. And all of this, when you're in it as an individual contributor, even manager and like, you know, downstream, you feel like there's this like structure that exists and then you start talking to execs and it's like, I don't know, just like do the work. If you need a different structure, like tell me and we'll make the structure different. It's where I've seen it in a couple instances recently where it's such a miscommunication of just like they want the results and the the folks down below are operating in a game that the executives don't even realize that they set up, right? It's as simple as making a different decision or communicating down a different decision. Yeah.
0: I have a lot of thoughts on this, but I have a question first. Yes. This feels like a everyone's fault and no one's fault problem where hierarchy is designed to facilitate action in one capacity. That's not the entire thing, but hierarchy should facilitate action. But obviously it sometimes gets in the way, especially the bigger the company it can become a blocker. And so you kind of need to work around the hierarchy and the rules to get done what executives want you to get done. Yep. So say I'm like a regular person who is doing...
1: Say you're a Margaret, a very big rule follower who can't go in the exit doors at Target because it's a rule and I will follow a rule to the end of time.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah. Right. You're so pretend you're me.
0: Example. <laughs> yeah, you're the perfect example. So if I'm Margaret at a company... And I have this project that has all these blockers due to hierarchy and process. Whose fault is it that me following the rules ultimately makes me unsuccessful? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, how do you, I guess I'm, I'm looking for the solution here or like an idea on like what this should look like.
1: I don't think the, the figuring out who's to blame is the issue. I would say that the solution here is just for executives to understand that decisions that they've made and communicated can affect people's ability to get stuff done. And then also folks that are in the structure to have empathy towards the idea that like this structure only exists because somebody made it up, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really important point that is maybe a little meta is like, it's all made up. It's all made up.
0: If you're someone who manages people, that means you have somewhat, you have a position of power Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and you have access to people who have more power than you. And so you have the ability, if they are blocked by something, to help them remove that blocker. Mm -hmm. thus getting around the hierarchy and the process. What I think, and I experience this at Animals, almost the exact same thing you described, where people would be like, well, it says you have to do this. So, like, I can't do that. You're holding me back from doing this. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa. Yeah. hold on a second. Yeah. Like maybe there was something I should have said in the very beginning. Cause I did focus a lot on process of animals because I thought that would free people and make them, I was like, you just need like, cause when I came in, it was chaos. Yeah. And people were like, everything's so chaotic. And I was like, great, let's put some structure here. And we did. But then I think that structure ended up working against me later. And so I wonder if the middle ground would have been building into the structure and process this caveat where it's like if you are working on something and you are
1: blocked, yeah. Here's the path to be unblocked. So the process can... for unblocking the process.
0: Right. So, like, say you're a leader and you've got someone working on a project and for some reason it's not moving as fast as you want. You know, could you install a question where it says, What's blocking you? Yeah. Is there anything outside of your control that's blocking you? Yeah. How can I help unblock you? Where are you running it? Like, where are you frustrated? Where are you? Because I've experienced it, but again, my way of experiencing it was to do whatever was possible. Yeah, to get it. Like, I you couldn't. And that's like,
1: and that's your personality. And I think I think as you manage too, you have to manage people who are different than you, right? And it's like you yeah. definitely always, I imagine, just did whatever needed to get done, hell or high water, and. You know, piss people off in the process and whatever, you got it done. Some of the best advice that I ever got when I was managing, and actually when I stepped up to manage managers, was some people just want to be grabbed by the collar and told what to do. And it'll surprise you who those people are because sometimes it's the people that you think are running stuff and you just got to grab them by the collar and tell them what to do. Once I got that advice and I really internalized it, it totally unlocked who I was as a leader. Because I realized that before I was trying to like lead horses to water with, I don't even know how to use this metaphor, like with like oh, your like yes your thing, like yes. With just like a song and a dance trying to lead horses to water. And eventually it's like grab them by the rain and bring them to the water. And they're so happy to finally have a source of water.
0: Yes. I was the same way. I, I always wanted consensus mm-hmm. and I wanted people to like me. And I, what that ended up creating was a really messy situation. Yeah. It made things messier. It made people like – made some people hate me more. And if I had just gone to them and been like, this is what you need to do.
1: Yeah. And there's so much creativity that can be had. And I think this is – we've talked about this before, you and I, where the fear is that you're going to stifle creativity by telling people what the expectation is, what thing needs to get done, what the plan is. But what you're, what you're doing is you're creating the layer of constraints in which then down below any creativity that happens can be useful creativity rather than chaotic creativity, right? Like you are, you are focusing, 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 and focus is not the opposite of creativity. No, no. And at the end of the day,
0: sometimes people hate things and they end up liking it later. And no. who cares? A business exists to accomplish the objective of the business. Yep. Do you know what I mean? So now we're going to get into our own executive thrashing stories.
1: Yes. Should we tell them what, should we tell them what it is? <laughs> I feel like I coined the term executive thrashing six months ago
0: ish you have been the namer like i can't take any credit for it i was
1: sitting there like what should we call it i can't say that i'm the first person to probably call this executive thrashing but whenever i say the word people immediately know what i mean and i feel like that's a great that's when you feel like you've named something correctly yes is when you name the baby baby and people are like i know what that is <laughs> and every time i say executive thrashing people like just get it whether you're at the executive level and you're watching things thrash or you know that you've thrashed, or if you're down below and you've felt the thrash, just people yeah. get it.
0: Okay. I have a lot of stories, but they're not all thrashing with okay. regards to the work. They're just like general thrashing as humans. Gotcha. And so one time I was working at a company and I was in a public, company-wide public slash Slack channel. Mm-hmm discussing an issue that the company was dealing with and it wasn't everyone at the company but it, the whole company was aware and we were all working on it together and it was a every company I've worked for is small so like it doesn't matter like it was so like it was logical that the entire company could be in a room because yeah we weren't a huge company. and I had responded to something in a positive way saying this is the support that I'm going to offer. It was like some perfectly normal response. And my boss at the time on Slack in front of everyone who is definitely online and still in the office physically in that moment, including yeah. me said, Devin, why don't you just deal with it? Just deal with it.
1: Deal, deal, deal. And all caps and like separate messages. Did they not know that this is a
0: public channel? Oh they knew and it gets worse. This is only the first part of the story. This is the this
1: beginning. Is, this is bad behavior.
0: So I'm in a place in my career where I feel feelings when I get things wrong and especially publicly. <laughs> You're not there anymore. <laughs> no, I oh please. Run, running a company made me completely insensitive. Like I don't care anymore. I like no. Doesn't just leave me alone. But so I'm sitting there and I'm absolutely mortified. Like I'm humiliated and I'm pissed. Cause I worked very hard for this company and I cared a lot about it. So I was so angry. I just closed my computer and I went to the bar (laughs) and I started, I brought my friend over and I was like bawling my eyes out and I was like drinking heavily. I got super hammered. The next day, I just like didn't show up to work. I was so mad. I called two of the other, two other um, bosses who I adored and I was just like, or I was slacking with them or something. And I was like, I'm never coming back. Like, fuck this. Like, I was so angry. Mind you, that was a somewhat of a chaotic place to work in general. I I was going to
1: say if that's.
0: (laughs) I think this person was also sleeping in the conference rooms at this point. So Mm -hmm. like, it was probably at that phase too. where I was sort of like, this person was never around. And then, so I finally, I go to a liquid lunch with my friend and then come into the office.
1: And don't explain it. Like, I was just like, hey. Show up at 2 p.m. hammered.
0: (laughs) Yep. And, oh, I think I sent them an email and said, we need to talk today. This was unacceptable. And they called me and they were like, I was kidding. I thought you knew I was joking. Mind you, no one else. Yeah, nobody thought I was joking. No. They were like, what is going on? First of all, they're like, what did you do? We were all here. And what? Yeah. It was absurd. And then in the course of the conversation, they said that if they weren't married, they would try to date me. Like it was that they were like, Oh, like you're so great. I think you're the best. Like if I, you know, if I weren't
1: married, I'd try to date you. And I was like, did you just I like to run, 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 run from this scenario? You know, the thing is, I really liked
0: my boss when I came in. I think that they were, I don't think this was who they were as a person. And -hmm. I know that sounds like messed up, but I know some stuff that came after that's actually pretty sad and they were, you know, whatever. I think this is related to a lot of things, but I definitely left the company, not immediately after, obviously. And that wasn't the only crazy thing. There was one time I spent like two months setting up a giant project. I was in a room with the executives on the day to kick off the implementation and the CEO is basically tanked the project. We'd all been in communication about it. Yeah. And on the day of the kick, so like wasted so much money and time and completely axed the project in the meeting.
1: I do think that with, with executive thrashing, that's the miscommunication or the misalignment that I see the most is a lack of even acknowledging the amount of hours that go down the toilet when you thrash. Because it it could have been that there was really smart decisions on why that was not the priority anymore, right? Maybe there was something new. I don't know if it was smart decisions. But I think when executive thrashing happens, sometimes it's like a different decision or a different focus or a different whatever. And especially in startups, those things have to happen fairly quickly, right? Like the altitude in which an executive is looking out, everything's changing all of the time. And so you do have to make really rapid decisions. I think without the acknowledgement of all of the work downstream that just went down the toilet, I think that's what feels so thrashy about it is just like, do you know how hard I worked on this? Do you know how many hours I could have spent doing something else if I had known a little bit earlier or not done this thing? And I think that that's, you You've asked me before what I think the answer is and I think it's it's a little bit of that is just like an acknowledgement of the fact that this exists and it's hard is oftentimes what you just need from the manager or the executive downstream is just like, hey, I know that sucks. I know that making this decision affects you in some way. <laughs> and that's- Yeah, not- I think that's true.
0: And that would be nice. I think like what makes it thrashing is one, I think in this case, simply paying closer attention- during the phases prior to, like maybe they didn't look at everything that I had sent over. Maybe they
1: had reservations, but just didn't get around to saying anything. I used to send emails to a manager of mine, a weekly update email, and I would send it via Yesware so I could understand if this manager was opening it or not. And this manager for several weeks, if not months, didn't open my weekly update email. And this person was also not joining one-on-ones. And I got to the point where I'm like, you don't even know what I'm doing. You don't know. Like, And then came to me one time and was like, why did you stop doing this marketing program? Why did you start doing this content program? And I was like, in my emails documented that I know that you have not opened. <laughs> I've clearly outlined my change in strategy. <laughs> But that's your point of, like, not paying attention. And I know, I know that, like, as you go upstream, you have so much more. Like, I am now that person that needs somebody to give me the Google Doc link. And I hated that person. All my managers that were ever like, hey we're going to a meeting about the thing and I've sent them a Google doc about it and they show up to the meeting and they're like, Hey, where's that? Can you, can you send me the link to the Google doc? Yeah. I always like hate that so much. And I am that person now where I cannot Same. keep track of Google docs. I'm like, no. please just send it to me in the moment. Yeah. I I had a similar
0: thing where I was sending weekly updates and then they would ask me to start sending weekly updates
1: <laughs> Um, you're like, that's a wonderful idea. I will totally get on that. And you know what? I am actually so productive that I've retroactively (laughs) created the weekly updates that you have then required. The most
0: passive aggressive thing to do would be to forward them all the past (laughs) weekly updates, which I obviously don't
1: do, but I do think actually more people should be doing upward weekly updates. Yeah. This is like my biggest thing where I'm like, I don't know, have you sent your direct manager and maybe their manager an update on what you did this week, especially in a remote context? And if you're not in a role that is shipping shit publicly all of the time, like if you write blog posts and you have five blog posts a week, you probably don't need to update it, right? But like if you're working on bigger strategy pieces or like things that move slowly that don't have a visible footprint, oh my God, send your manager and their manager an update please please on a weekly basis please and even if they don't open it performing
0: yeah well yes five blog posts who cares are they doing anything show me that you can write two and get the same impact yeah exactly honestly but
1: that's because you and i i feel like both default to lazy girl marketing which is do less but better It's like, I don't care if it's five, if it's like, it should be two with the same results. I always like when I'm talking to marketers, I always like give them that advice. And I feel like their like eyes get a little wide. And I'm like, do it with less stuff if you can, you know. I have a nuanced opinion on production metrics versus impact metrics. Mm. And while I think that with the right person, you should only give them impact metrics and let them figure out production or or widget making or whatever it is. When you're starting to do something new and you also don't know the impact that it could have, sometimes success is in the repetition of it. Yeah. Fair. Especially with a new program for a very brief period of time and for the right person, you can goal on production because it's about the at-bats. I would say it's production plus the other success metric is understanding the impact without setting an impact metric, right? Understanding yeah. what the impact could be. But there is like a small time and place in which there should always be an end date to when you're going to decide to turn it into an impact metric or kill the program. But there is a moment in time where it's actually very useful when you're creating a program to incentivize just the production and the volume of experimentation and that being the goal. I guess even that's tied with an impact metric because- It has to be nested underneath an impact metric, but you don't know if that
0: thing is going to be the thing that actually works. Uh, But the impact metric isn't the ultimate impact metric you're going to measure. It's like if you're trading on volume to experiment, then with each post, I would be looking at things like, say it's a blog post or like something creative you're publishing. Time on page, uh, organic mentions, types of mentions. Like is someone calling it out in a really special way? Is there a person in this field who's very – like who's really great and well-known, are they like, it doesn't have to be volume. It doesn't have to be like the majority of people, blah, blah, blah. And then even looking at the negative stuff, was there like a theme in feedback that you can apply to the next one
1: as you're continuing with the volume. But I would say, what I would say for that is like, those are data points to set you in the right direction. Cause you can't make a goal that you're going to have anecdotal feedback on whether or not your post is good or not. That could be a, something that you know is going to help you make a decision on what things you double down on, what not. But what I'm saying is like, that's not even, I don't even think that's an impact metric. I think that's like a great, like, I mean, I always have those, like the, that's my, in the back of my pocket, always my biggest internal in my brain measurement of content programs is like the anecdotal feedback, people saying they love it, they hate it, they whatever. But I think what you goal your team on is not that because it's really hard to actually get that done. You want to like give them something that they're going to feel like they're working on in the right direction. And I think that's still volume at the very beginning of a, of a program. I think it's both
0: because listen- Let's, let's use an example. How would you
1: write that in a goal though? I'm, gonna,
0: I'm not, t- I think you're taking metrics yeah. and thinking that I'm thinking about them like goals. Okay. So like, that's fine. So it's like, fine, arbitrary project that requires a lot of output. Yep. Of physical pieces that people need to produce. Yep. It's based on a hypothesis yep. that this style, type, like all this stuff, right? You've made a, you've made a hypothesis. That has a you know various levels of decisions that you made based on assumptions that are
1: educated. Sounds like that a strategy. You're trying to test out, huh? I said sounds like a strategy, right?
0: Sure. So you have an ultimate goal for this.
1: You're, you're getting getting so h- <laughs> fired up
0: right now. <laughs> I know. I'm like, but I think this is important because I, I just, I've had this experience recently with scoping a project, yeah, where this wasn't factored in, and it makes me, it makes me itchy, yeah. So there is an ultimate goal from this project that it will make some impact on the company. Yep. And you have a hypothesis that this is it, but you're not sure. And you've gotten the permission to test it out. Yep. And so you're creating a bunch of stuff along the way. Mm -hmm. I believe that you should be measuring certain things depending on the project along the way, not as your success, not as your impact metric or whatever, but there are, yeah, Mini impacts along the way that can help you evolve the project project to the ultimate form, right? Because yep. the hypothesis is something completely untested. Yep. And so you need those things like some qualitative metrics, some you know the kind of the unscalable stuff. Yeah. Some data behind the scenes around how people are interacting it with it and what they're doing and where the traffic's coming from, et cetera. Because after a few of those things, you'll see a pattern after just a few pieces of publishing, which means that you're continuing on with the volume, but you'll be able to ch- change more adaptively what you're doing and maybe get faster to that ultimate impact metric. And not for nothing, I think you should be sharing that stuff along the way, because yeah. guess what? The bigger the company, the less they think people are doing, especially in marketing. And it's like, if you can show in progress data. Of any kind, yep. and how you're thinking about that data, and how you're like, hey, we're gonna tack on this, exp- or we're gonna augment based on this, and here, you know, I think that is a really, really smart, creative, data influenced way to execute a strategy.
1: Let me ask you this. What percentage of everyone that you've ever managed has proactively given you updates on what they're doing? Not in a one-on-one where it's like, this is the whole reason is for us to chat about how it's going, but like percentage of people that you've managed that has sent you a weekly email or a consistent update on proactively what they're working on, how it's going. Not enough. Right? That is the sneakiest hack to make yourself look good. Yeah. Because nobody does it. And it's just the only thing I guarantee that your management or your leadership layer cares about Yeah, is, are you thinking about it the right way? Are you blocked? Are you having success? Put it in my inbox.
0: And the bigger the company, the more they need to see that. I've seen this recently where the high integrity is actually not rewarded Mm. because if you're focused so hard on getting it correct and right, which I think is novel, it might lead to not having uh, something to show as quickly. Whereas there are other teams showing all this stuff that isn't even finished, isn't even really
1: baked at all, but they're just so like- being Communicated,
0: yeah. know yeah, there's like
1: showing all this stuff and the perception then becomes that- the That one has, has a- higher velocity than others, right?
0: Yeah, and all they're yeah. doing is showing the work along the way versus waiting for something to be perfectly polished. Yeah, And I think that that's a way to show your insides to leadership so they can see, cause they just need to feel action. Yeah. And cause there is an invi- like there were times even when I became a leader where I'm very ashamed of this, I would go to a manager, I'd be like, is
1: so-and-so even doing anything? There's two types of leaders. One that thinks that there's two types of leaders and others that think there's a different number of <laughs> types of leaders. Not just you kidding. know, There's two types of leaders. There's people who default to, I think everyone's working. And then the other people that think like, are they, is that person even doing anything? But I think what it is, is it's that visibility layer of like, if you're getting updates and even, then, this is why I said manager and that person's manager is a good person to have on that thread is because sometimes your manager isn't good at managing up. And so if you're going to get lost in this layer of your manager is not doing a good job championing the work that you're doing, like just go ahead and add that person's manager on there. Just being like up the chain. I love skip levels for that reason because like it's so dependent.
0: Yeah. And I would say too, like this was a very hard lesson for me to learn. Assume that no one's telling you the truth (laughs) except for like, I mean, that's why it's really important to choose a leadership team that you can trust, which I had at various points. Like I definitely had people that told me the truth, but when I was the person, because I would say I was both of those people Mm. at different times and i think in the beginning i was more like assuming the best and later on i just it's not that i assumed the worst i just had a more nuanced view based on my experiences there was a big wake up call when i realized that there was a lot of stuff going on that i didn't know about and i thought i was something else was being communicated to me and i believed it and I shouldn't have been any closer to those situations. Like, Mm -hmm. that's the thing is, like, your reaction can't. the, The tough thing about that I experienced running a very small company 130 people is tiny, but it happened even at that size. Where, when something, when a trust is broken around communication and it's a form of, like, it can feel like a form of betrayal almost. I think the knee jerk reaction is, well, I need to talk to everyone. I need to, you know. And then you're like, but wait, I can't. That's not what being a leader, that's not what being a CEO is supposed to be about. Things would be worse if I did that. And so you have to do this thing where like in the moment, you have to figure out how to adapt systems a little bit so you get better visibility, et cetera. But like I both knew everything and nothing. Like ultimately I always find out everything. And that is like, it's one of those things where I really wished there was a way to communicate this to people where I'm like, if you think you can trust other people they're sharing information when it's useful for them and everybody shares so I know I know pretty much everything everyone did and I didn't ask for it it just gets <laughs> delivered to me willingly and so when you write these glass door reviews that are psychotic like we know who they are you know what I mean and it's like that reputation moves with you as well which I wish I was probably one of those people too. The trust thing as a leader is like you have to you have to trust everyone, and you have to build in systems that allow you to verify. Yeah, trust and that but verify weird. That always felt weird to me. I didn't like yeah. it. I was yeah. like, well, I'll just trust it. Like somehow it'll get to me, and it doesn't. And it yeah. cannot get to you in ugly ways that cause big problems. And you yeah. like still have to take responsibility for all of them because it is my responsibility. Everything is your fault. I was just talking to someone the other day who was like, "What?" He's like, I, "I'm just a
1: bullseye." Yeah. Like, well, yes, I think that's, that's exactly what you are. Yeah. Well, I think that there is that type of leadership that I find very inspiring and and attractive to work for, which is the success of my team is theirs, and anything that goes wrong is mine. That right? doesn't work in real life. It, you can't it can't be that binary that is why you but need But what i'm hierarchy. saying is like that this is the this is the philosophy in which i think leaders like like a good leader will live in and it's not it's never because there's sometimes where you get to say i grew animals from xyz to zyx there's moments in time where you get to have the success but especially internally while you're leading if you're in a meeting anything good that happened to the company is the fact that the folks on your team did it And anything that's going wrong in the company has been escalated up to you as you're the problem solver. My job managing got harder and harder as I rose up because everyone that you hired that ideally is better than you, right? Like if you're doing a good job managing, you're hiring people who are better than you ever were at the job. By the time things would get to me when I was a manager of managers, different layers of people who were way better at their job and smarter than me couldn't solve it. And then it gives up to me, (laughs) like, shit, I only dealt with really, really fucking hard problems that nobody else could solve that probably didn't have a solvable answer. And I'm sure at the CEO level, that got even worse for you where you're like, like even executive layer of leadership who are thinking strategically and understand the strategy of the company and all of the nuances, they can't solve it. And so it's like, that's the only thing on your to-do list are the really shitty unsolvable things. That's what somebody, I don't know who it was. I think it was probably my coach,
0: Cecilia, who said this. She said, you you get paid to solve the problems that no one else can solve. And And by the time they get
1: to you, they've festered for long enough that they're even grosser, hairier problems.
0: Yeah, I just don't think it's that simple. Or in my experience, it wasn't that simple. So like in certain areas, I probably should have taken more credit and started practicing doing that later. Like I started reminding people These are all the things I did for you (laughs) because they forget. And then they start, it develops. It's like, I think there is a world in which, and this was a little bit uncomfortable for me because as much Mm. as I can be like braggadocious or whatever, like as a leader, I was like, no, it's about the team. It's about like, you know, show them this. After a while I was like, this isn't working Mm. because they don't see just like leadership. You have to talk to leadership a thousand times and tell them the same thing over and over again. I realized I had to do the same thing with the team. Remember when I did this? Remember when I did like, so because they, their memories are short too. And taking, just taking the blame for everything doesn't work either. You can't just make yourself the enemy. You have to make yourself, you have to show the team that you're part of the success too. Mm. Because it does, it, it makes you then too binary. So I think it's more nuanced than that. It's like You have to find ways to take credit for things so people can trust and believe in you and want to follow you. But you have to give most of it away. That was the thing that I realized later is like, I actually wasn't taking enough credit and I should have taken more credit sooner. Yeah. Because I think it led to this, yeah, people forgetting. forgetting That's interesting.
1: It's an interesting nuance because I think that it's probably, yeah, it's probably something that I failed at. And I think that the thing that I would find the hardest too is let's say it's a larger company meeting and somebody an executive gives the team lead the credit and then the team lead has to like duck and dodge to like pull out the person from their team that deserves the credit.
0: Yeah. I mean, I literally had to start getting into all hands and we would start everyone with, here's all the things that we did for you recently. It's like, it's bizarre, but you're like, okay, that's just a part of like the corporate PR, right? It's like the things that happen in an organization, are different from day to day logic. Like the organization has a personality, all of its own, all its own. I learned more about that on a on a small business level,
1: yeah.
0: Um, and I'm seeing now different the way that looks different uh, at larger organizations, and I find it immensely fascinating. Like I could get caught up in these problems all day long, but. Uh, Oh, I have more stories, but we can tell those for later.
1: All right. This is where our show ends. If you'd like to leave Devin and Margaret your own executive thrashing story or nightmare marketing story, head to the link in our show notes. Thanks for tuning in. And if you like what we're doing here, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Maybe share it with your friends. Up to you. And I'll see you next time. Team me up. My hype (laughs) woman. (laughs) Tell me I'm beautiful and smart. (laughs) (laughs) Your hair today looks fire. Thank you. I wore it to the mom's night out.